I want to put a bow on the little series that we've been doing on my three best friends, faith, love, and hope. I personally have loved this series. I've really enjoyed studying the interplay of these ideas of faith, hope, and love, and I've loved the theme scripture that we've used. Our theme verse has been 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where the Apostle Paul said, now remain. So when other things are passing away, when other things are falling apart, now remain faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And I've said repeatedly in this series, and every time I've said it, it seems to me like you resonate with this. I have said that we here at Grace are a community of faith, love, and hope. It's who we are. It's who we're increasingly becoming. And it is what we want every single person who sets foot in any of our gatherings to experience. Uh, Jessica and I went hiking this past week in San Dimas. And as we were hiking, we, we stumbled across a totem pole that had been set up. And a totem pole, if you remember, it was not just a a piece of art. A totem pole was a depiction of a tribe's core values. We we found a totem pole in San Dimas that had these faces of birds and animals carved into it. And when a tribe would set up a totem pole, they weren't just being artistic. They were presenting the ethos or the essence of who the tribe was. So if the tribe valued bravery or, or fierceness, they might carve the face of a bear into the the base, or if they valued cunning or stealth, they could carve the likeness of a fox into the, the pole. And then if a tribal member ever forgot who they were, they could just point to the totem pole to remember, oh yeah, we're brave. Oh, that's right. In this tribe, we're wise. And they would remember who they are. Well, as we were hiking, I saw this totem pole and I immediately thought, if we were making a totem pole at grace, we would want to carve faith love, and hope into the base of that thing as a picture of who we are. So as a church, we are um, a people who follow Jesus with all of our heart in every area of our life. That's faith. We're a people who are trying to, we're not perfect at it, but we're trying to embody love. That's our ethos. That's the culture and the atmosphere that we want And we desperately want to be a people that radiate hope. You know, the ancient philosopher Philo said, be kind for everyone is fighting a great battle. And we want to be people who speak hope to those people who are in the middle of a great battle. Um, There's always hope for people in Jesus Christ. And we want to be a church that radiates that hope and that enthusiasm and that confidence. So what I want to do today... I want to read just a few scriptures to you and wrap up this this faith, hope, love series. And I'm going to address the theme today of unearthing the real you. Do you guys remember Michelangelo's David statue? Do you like like our our PG church rated version of the statue? (laughs) Has anybody ever seen the actual statue? You've seen the actual statue live? Well, there's a legend That apparently after this statue was created, and the statue is is unbelievable, just exquisite piece of art, that somebody approached Michelangelo and they said, how did you do that? That would have been so difficult to sculpt David out of a slab of marble. And apparently Michelangelo said, no, it wasn't difficult. 
David was in the marble all along. All I had to do was cut away everything that didn't look like him. (laughs) Artists are incredible. An artist can see something in a block of stone that we can't see. Or they can see something in a lump of clay or on a blank canvas that the rest of us just can't see. And you know what? God is an artist. And God is shaping and molding and sculpting something in you that you can't fully see yet. And a couple of verses that speak to this. Let me start today in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then down in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The word formed here in Genesis 2-7 is a word that means to fashion or shape, and it's a pottery term. It's used almost exclusively and explicitly for the idea of a master potter sitting at the wheel shaping clay into something beautiful. And I love that because all throughout the Genesis narrative, when it describes creation, it tells us that God spoke creative words that produced life-giving effects. So all through the Genesis narrative, God is speaking and life and creation is happening until he came to the man. When it came to man, he didn't say, let there be man, and then poof, there's Adam standing there. No, when it came to the man, God shaped and fashioned and formed and touched the man. And when you touch something, you leave fingerprints behind, don't you? The fingerprints of God are all over you today. You are special. You are unique. You have a mark and and a touch of God in your life. All humans are, and every sane person knows this. Every sane person knows that human beings are unique out of all creation. There there are no creatures with the same value of humans. If you were to see a, a young boy pulling the legs off of a grasshopper, you might snap at him. Hey, stop that. What are you doing? Knock it off. That's, that's cruel. If you saw that same boy later in the afternoon trying to pull the legs off of a cat, you might think, wait a minute. Something's not right here. We need to stop him. We need to get him some help. But, but you know, if you found that same boy later on trying to pull the legs off of a baby, you would think, hold on, something is, something's perverse. Something's really twisted. And we need to figure out what's going on. Human beings are set apart from all creation. See, we carry the image of God, the imago Dei, the stamp, the fingerprint of God, unlike any other creature in creation. So Genesis tells us that we were created in God's image, in his likeness, and for relationship with him. We were made, so this is your story. We were made pure and clean, 
able to govern and lead and organize and oversee, and we were um, able to relate authentically with both God and other people. Uh, We were made for life, but the scriptures tell us that instead of living in life, uh, there was brokenness and a fall, and death, sin, got injected into the human thread. And so where we once were naked and unashamed in our relationships, now we pose and we hide, and we hunker down behind tree trunks and fig leaves, and we prop up our egos, and, and, and we live inauthentically. And listen, doesn't that make so much sense of your story? Doesn't that simple description make so much sense of why you are the way you are? That, that explains why we ache for something more, why we long for something more beautiful and more pure and more life-giving and more adventurous. We ache for it because we were created for it. It explains why we sometimes feel like we have a dual nature on the inside of us. Do you ever feel like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde live inside you? Do you ever feel like, what is going on with me? I am kind and pure and loving and good, but wow, I can also be a tyrant. I can also be something totally different than what I want to be. I was watching a debate this week between Richard Dawkins and John Lennox. Uh, The debate's about a year old, but I just watched it this past week. Um, Richard Dawkins is uh, considered the voice and the face kind of of what's called new atheism. And John Lennox is this brilliant scholar. They're both um, Oxford professors. These are probably two of the smartest men on our planet today. John Lennox has uh, three doctorates. He has a doctorate in math and science and... um, I can't even remember what his third doctorate is, but he's got three doctorates. They had this debate about the subject, has science buried God? Has science brought us to the point where we no longer need a God because we understand it all? Or has science brought us to the point where we are more in awe of God? It was a tremendous debate. You can watch it on YouTube. It was outstanding. But in their debate, they started touching a little bit on the idea of the meta-narratives of Christianity and atheism. A meta-narrative is an overarching story that gives purpose and context and meaning to all of the lesser stories. So a meta-narrative is this big explanatory story that ties our smaller stories together and it makes sense of life. So the Christian meta-narrative says what I've already been telling you. We were made in the image of God. We were made for relationship with God, which is why we crave romance and adventure in paradise and beauty. But sin came into the story and the grand design was, 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 was knocked off track and, and we're marred. And so we're conflicted and, and we know that we're valuable. It's like we have a price tag on us now. And, and I know that I'm worth something, but it's been smudged. And so now I I go all over the place saying, can you read my price tag for me? I I know that, I know I'm more than I think I am, but can you tell me what I'm worth? Or can you write a a value in here for me? Can you write my identity? So we're in search of this identity. We're amazing, but we're tragically flawed. We humans are packed with potential, but we have a debilitating defect called sin. However, in the Christian meta-narrative, we are not left alone to struggle. Jesus Christ 
has taken the grand design and put it back on track. And he's brought the antidote to sin and the pathway to life and the answer to our deepest questions. Now, in contrast to the Christian meta-narrative is the atheistic meta-narrative, which essentially says that there is no meta-narrative. In the atheistic frame, uh, framework, um, there, there is no greater purpose. So those noble urgings in you, they're not speaking to anything greater than evolutionary urges. And we have to have those because something needs to keep the species moving forward. Your passions and your longings are sociological programmings. They're highly evolved promptings of your DNA. They, they aren't speaking to a greater purpose because there is no greater purpose. Because as far as we know scientifically at this moment, there is nothing more than biology. And, and not only is there nothing more than biology, we can't expect anything more than what we're having. By the way, I'm not trying to paint atheism in a bad light. I'm actually paraphrasing everything Richard Dawkins said. Dawkins said these things in describing the atheistic framework. He said this. He said, there is no justice in the world. He said, the vast majority of people will live and die in pain, and that's just all there is to it. So, we stand on our own two feet. We look out into the cosmos. We learn as much as we can possibly learn, and we make the best of, of what we can with the lot in life that we've been given. That's his summary of the atheistic meta-narrative. Now, Dawkins said something very uh, true that I think we should remember. He said, just because I like a particular meta-narrative better doesn't mean it's true. Because Dawkins had to admit that Lennox's meta-narrative was way better than, than Dawkins was. Just because I like something more doesn't mean it's true. Truth is not based on my personal preference. It's based on evidence that proves something true. But for me... The, the, the Christian meta-narrative makes a whole lot of sense about what's going on inside me. I, I ache for something more because I was made for something more. I'm longing for something transcendent because I carry a spark of the image of God in me. We were made for it. So, we were made in his likeness. It was damaged through sin. Death was injected into our essence. Through Jesus, the antidote has appeared and now the image and here's the message today the image is being rediscovered and unearthed um that's what verses like romans 8 once you turn in your bibles to the book of romans chapter 8 that's what verses like romans 8 and second corinthians three seventeen say um, in romans 8 verse 19 verse 29 rather it says, for those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So this verse is telling us that your destiny, now this is big stuff, guys. Your destiny is to become increasingly like Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, he says, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. One more, over in Galatians 4.19, Paul is expressing his heart 
for the the church in Galatia, modern-day Turkey. And he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He says, I'm feeling so much passion. It's almost like I'm having a baby. I'm so um, in anguish over this desire to see Jesus formed in you. Um, Back in Romans 8, verse 19, listen to this one. This is crazy. It says, the creation, so that's our planet. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. This is telling us that our world, our planet, is holding its breath, waiting to see you, to see the church revealed as who they were originally created to be. Now, I know this gets a little bit heady, but the surrounding context in Romans 8 tells us that our creation, our planet, is just like you and me. It was created for something more than what it's currently experiencing. Um, The scriptures tell us that our planet is a fallen version of its original purpose. The original purpose of planet Earth, according to the scripture, was to be a home for daughters and sons who were made in the image of God. And yet sin didn't just damage you, it actually damaged planet Earth. So now, just as you have incredible capacity for goodness and virtue and beauty and creativity and exploitation and vindictiveness and racism and sexism and all of that stuff, so our planet not only has unbelievable beauty and just breathtaking vistas and sceneries and unbelievable ecosystems and complexity, it also has tsunamis and floods and droughts and famines. Verse 20 says, The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, our redemption of our bodies. So we are groaning and aching for God's purpose to be revealed in us. But um, have you ever watched somebody create art? Have you ever watched somebody paint or sculpt or uh, do some kind of artwork. Have you noticed that when somebody is creating art, and remember God's an artist, right? And you're, you're part of the art that he's creating. Have you noticed that in the early stages of the art uh, process, the artistry process, you don't know what's being made? Have you noticed that? You, you, um, you, you, can, you see a, a lump of clay and it's being shaped and squished and the, the artist knows where he's taking that thing or where she's taking it, but, but the observer doesn't. Um, do, do you have any idea what I'm drawing right here? A dot, nice. Um, No, in the early stages, if I was sketching something, you still probably don't know exactly what I'm drawing. You have to get a little bit further in the process, and I don't know, a moon? What what am I I, I making? You get a little bit further into the process before something starts taking shape. 
Can you even see this with the spotlight on it? But um, it's, it's not until you get partway into the process that these, these lines and these marks start revealing something. Boy, it took you a long time to figure that out. <laughs> and then, you know, what, what starts out being just kind of a, 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 a scribble and a swipe, all of a sudden you got some Disney action going on. I, let, me, let me show you my favorite drawing that I can draw. I learned how to draw something in high school during chemistry. Um, <laughs> I didn't get a great grade in chemistry, but I learned, I learned to draw something interesting. Any ideas what I'm drawing right here? Uh, somebody say eyes. When I was in chemistry, I learned to draw something. This friend and I, it's reflected in my grade, obviously, but we, we, we decided to, um, to, to spend about a week to learn, which we taught ourselves how to draw Mr. Noble, our chemistry teacher. <laughs> this is exactly what Mr. Noble looked like. And, and yet, when, in the first couple of swipes, you have no idea. The, the only other thing I can draw is muscles. So... So, Mr. Noble was jacked up, but, <laughs> but, um, but in, in God's, you're, you're clapping for that, wow. But, but, but the, the very nature of being a canvas is that we don't always know what he's shaping. We don't always see it at first. What, what happens is that we grow up with a longing. We grow up with an ache for something more. And so we rush out to try and find the more, but then we immediately run into disappointment, human limitations, we run into pain. And then for those of us here, at some point in our life, we get introduced to the Christian meta narrative. We get introduced to this idea of Jesus who loves us and calls us. So we open our heart to him. And then at that moment, whether we know it or not, at that moment, he begins in earnest um, working in our lives. And, and, and the master artist takes everything that comes into our life, the good or the bad, the, the inspiring and the horrifying, and he uses all of it to produce something good. In fact, it says that in Romans 8 as well. In Romans 8, 28, it says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So in all things, so in in pain and suffering and exhilaration and divorce and bereavement and promotion and, and uh, graduations and disappointments and great friendships and betrayals. In all of these things, God uh, works as only he can do to produce something beautiful, the new creation. And the new creation that he's trying to create on the inside of you looks like two things. Number one, it looks like Jesus. And number two, it looks like you. Um, our favorite preacher, uh, when Jessica and I were first married, was Dr. Seville Phillips, who's deceased now. But he used to say, when you finally end your days and you meet your maker face to face, God is not going to look at you and say, why weren't you more like her? Why weren't you more like your brother? Or why weren't you more like your sister? He's going to look at you and he's going to compare you to the image of Christ. And then he might say, why weren't you more like you? 
See, could you imagine how freeing it would be to really be us? We have spent most of our lives hiding and posing and posturing and propping up uh, you know, our insecurities. Imagine what it would be like to relate freely and to be authentic and be the real us. It would be so liberating. Imagine how great your relationships would be if people didn't have to relate to the flawed, insecure you. They could just relate with you. They could just relate with the you, your uniqueness, your talent, your personality. You know, uh, in marriage, let me just go here for a quick second. In marriage, people run into problems when the person they married does not become the person they thought they would become when they originally married the person. See, when you and I get married, we fall in love with two people. We fall in love with the person we're marrying, but we also fall in love with the person we think that person will become. And when there's uh, no progression, or worse, if there's regression, it can be tough and it can be difficult to love. I did not marry Jessica for her potential. I married her for who she was, but based on who she was, I anticipated a certain kind of life with her. And see, that's what it's like for us humans. Ideally, we are supposed to experience a progressive blossoming as we age. We're supposed to get better as we age. I know here in L.A. or L.A. County, we're obsessed with youth. We're obsessed with beauty. In fact, I just read that in Hollywood, a woman peaks at 26 and a man peaks at about 33. My brother's turning 43. He is so handsome and talented. He's being turned down now for roles because he's too old. Now he's auditioning for the dad. (laughs) And so we're obsessed with youth. But in Scripture, we're supposed to get better as we age. Paul said in Corinthians... Outwardly, I'm wasting away, but inwardly, I'm being renewed. So I'm 46 years old, so I'm getting up there. When I turn 46, <laughs> and, and, and I, I'm definitely, I'm feeling aches, and I'm, I'm feeling joints I didn't know I had, and my skin is doing weird things. I can be totally clean-shaven at night, and I can wake up with an inch-long hair in my neck, and I don't know, I didn't miss it. How does that happen? I don't, I'm not loving this, but when I turned 46, Maddie came up to me and she said, hey, dad, you know, in math, you round up. <laughs> so effectively and technically, you're closer to 50. And um, I did not love that observation. But, but you know what? Honestly, so I'm, I'm aging rapidly. And yet, you know what? I am more, today, I am more like the childhood me than I've ever been in my life. See, in your childhood, there were seeds of your adult dysfunction, but that's not all that was there. There was a snapshot of the unspoiled you, the you that you were supposed to be before sin and brokenness and betrayal and human meanness. It's taken me a long time to get to this place. It's taken 46 years. And I'm certainly still in process, but you know what? I am happier and freer. I am more me today than I've ever been in my entire life. And if we are responding to God's artistic touch in our lives, that will be all of our stories. And by the way, if we all become more like Jesus, we don't all become the same, just so you know. It's not like we're all like Jesus, so we're all the same and we're all cookie cutter. Oh my goodness, far from it. You are the true extrovert or teacher or exhorter or prophetic person or empathetic person, the, the uniqueness of who you are blossoms to a heightened degree. It's, it becomes more distinct and more unified. 
We're becoming more like Jesus as we respond to him, and we're becoming more like us. And it's so freeing to finally be at peace and comfortable in the skin of us. And so coming full circle now in closing, let me wrap this up. Grace Church has existed in Laverne since 1901. And all throughout those decades, God has been shaping this church into something. God has been scraping away the things that didn't actually look like us. Um, Our brethren roots, some people have no clue what the brethren denomination even is, uh, but we, we were founded in a denomination called the Grace Brethren Denomination. That shaped who we were. Former congregations that are dead and gone shaped who this church has become today. There were former pastors that had certain theological leanings and bents and perspective, and that added to who we've become. That there were people who sat in those chairs before you who shaped this church. You have shaped this church. Um, Jessica and I have shaped this church. The good times have shaped us. The, the bad times have shaped us. This gymnasium has shaped us. And after all of these years of shaping, it is so obvious to me what God is creating here. It couldn't be clearer. God is creating a community that radiates faith in Jesus Christ, that prioritizes love above all else, and that never stops speaking the language of hope. Is that who we are? Is that who we're becoming? I'm so convinced of it that I'm actually going to make a change to some of the language that we use here at Grace. And I've actually decided I'm going to make a change to the verbiage of our mission statement here at Grace. If you get online to our website, you'll see that what it currently says under our mission is that we exist to love and worship God and to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's not changing. It is who we are. It is what we're called to be. I'm just going to change the language of it. Um, Our motto currently is that we're a place to belong and become. And oh my gosh, I love that. That's who we are. That's who you've been for Jessica and me. And when you pick up your summer reading book today afterwards, you'll notice when you look at the dedication that I, I dedicated this book to Grace Church. Under the dedication, it says, To Grace Church of Laverne, for me, a place to belong and become, I love you all. So that's who we are, and it's forever who we are. But for this next season of ministry, here's what I want to do. I want to emphasize some different words. I want to emphasize the words faith, love, and hope. So our mission statement here at Grace, and and it will change. These things are always works in progress. But for this season, our mission is following Jesus. That's faith, by the way. Following Jesus, modeling love, and speaking God's hope to the world. Our vision A vision is what you see. Our vision is to be a community that follows Jesus, models love, and speaks God's hope to the world. If that's too complicated for some of you, you could just say that we're a community of faith, love, and hope. And if you can't remember that, well, you can remember my three best friends, faith, love, and hope. It's who we are. It's what we're becoming, and it's it's where we're going. Listen, our best days are in front of us. We are going to reach more people than we have ever reached in the history of Grace Church. And we're going to have fun doing it. 